So tonight we are going to be wrapping up our series called A Greater Glory. And um, I don't know about you guys, I love a good prank. I don't know if you guys enjoy a good prank. Um, recently I got myself into a little bit of a prank battle. And um, it all started uh, right before Christmas. Kevin Duarte, many of you know, and, and Colleen Duarte, they, they're a lot of your guys' community group leaders. And, and so they had gotten married. And you know that whole tradition, like you take a part of the cake, right? And you freeze it for a year, and then you eat it on the first year anniversary, right? Well, somehow they left the place where they got married, and somebody who was responsible for the cake brought it here, or maybe they brought it here. I don't even know the whole story, but it ended up in our freezer in our church, right? And so Kevin texts me kind of panicking, realizing it was still in there a few weeks after their wedding. And he says, Doug, just want you to know our wedding cake isn't in there. Please don't let anybody mess with it. Now, don't tell me that and then expect me not to mess with it, right? So Joey, Andrew, Billy, and Anthony and I were here working on a Friday, and so we went and found the cake. We're like, what are we going to do? And it was in this nice little cake box that you'd find in a bakery. And it was this whole message written out, handwritten out from the, the place that they had had their wedding. Somebody there had written a nice message to them to wish them their best, right? So we went to Best Market and we bought a $7 cake in a very similar box. And we wrote the exact same message on the top of this cake. And we came back to the church and we went up on the roof and, and we did this. So Kevin... It's going through the fridge. Doug asked me to clean some things out for the special. I saw your wedding cake was there. You know what? And I was thinking, for all the stuff you did to me, I was thinking, you know what? It's just a little bit of cake left. You know what? Forget this. <laughs> so we text that to Kevin. And about one second later, Anthony got a phone call. What did you do to my cake? Are you kidding me, Anthony? This is a joke, right? And, and my favorite part of this whole five-minute conversation that Kevin and Anthony had, which I did record, by the way, if you want to see it at some point, uh, was when Kevin said, who throws a cake off a roof? That was my clincher line right there. Now, of course, we told Kevin it was a fake, and we had the real cake and the whole deal. But what I wasn't expecting was the following Sunday, our big Christmas services, the first service went, and everything went great. And uh, I went to talk to Dan Murphy, who is Kevin's father-in-law, okay? And I went to talk to him after the first service and said, how'd the shuttle go? He was driving the shuttle that day. He said, well, we have a real problem, Doug. He said, I was driving the shuttle, and I got pulled over, and the cop gave me seven tickets. And he gave me, this is one of them, seven legit Suffolk County police tickets, right, for all different types of things. This one's for an unregistered vehicle. I had some for underinflated tires, like all these tickets, numbering up into the thousands. And he says, Doug, not only do I have all this to pay, which you're going to pay, he said, I have been called to go to court, and I'm not going down myself, so you're coming with me. He goes through this whole long thing. He's all upset. So I go up to my office. I'm holding these seven legit tickets like, oh, my gosh, what is going on? I walk downstairs, and Kevin meets me in the hallway and goes, that'll teach you to never mess with me again. <laughs> the guy who's driving our shuttle tonight, Jimmy, is a cop, and he and Dan teamed up with Kevin to prank me, and they wrote out all these legit tickets and made my heart pound out of my chest. Just so they know, the battle will ensue, <laughs> all right? This is going to continue. Live in fear, Jimmy, all right? So I love a good battle like that. And last week, we started talking about a battle that we all go through every single day, right? There's this battle that rages on in our lives, and it's are we going to do things our way or are we going to do things God's way? This is the battle that we're all in all day, every day. Are we going to live for our glory or are we going to live for God's glory? And last week, I just tried to encourage you that our glory is too little to live for. It's just too small, right? So if I'm going to live for my glory by making a name for myself, I'm going to be disappointed, 
That's not a big enough thing for me to live for. Or if I'm going to live for the little gods that I can go buy at a store or the little gods I can make out of a relationship or money or stuff or sex or any of those kinds of things, those things are going to fall short. They're all good, God-given things, and in the right place, when used in the right way, they're good and healthy. But when I have them as number one and I've made them God and they become what I live for and I'm living for my own glory, then, man, they're going to disappoint. And so last week I just encouraged you guys, we're meant to live for a a greater glory than our own. It's got to be bigger than us, right? Can't just be our own name or our own little gods that we've made, that we live for. And so maybe last week you left going, okay, that's interesting. Um, I guess I could buy into that, and it's probably right for me to live for God and not for myself. Maybe some of you kind of left that way thinking, all right, I'm going to try to really honor God this week. I'm going to try to put him first. That's what I challenged you to do at the end of the message last week is put him first. And it's so important that we live for his glory because that's what we were created to live for. Right? So anything short of that is going to frustrate us. When I was a kid, my church, man, it felt like they did a, a church work day every, every Saturday. So we were at the church doing this work day one time. And my dad, who's like a really crafty guy, came in. He said, I need this piece of sheetrock cut. And he had even like measured it all out. So it was just like dumb proof, you know. And so he didn't know I was involved, right? And so he, he leaves the room. And me and my buddies looking around going, I guess we got to cut this thing. And we didn't know how to cut it. So we saw a circular saw sitting on the floor. So we picked it up, and we got that thing rolling, and we're cutting, we're cutting, thinking we're doing good, high-fiving each other. All of a sudden, my dad comes in, and it looked like it was snowing in the room that we were cutting in because you're supposed to cut sheetrock with a tiny little sheetrock knife, not a high-powered saw. And so he came in, and, and it, man, it just looked like a complete mess in there. We were all covered. And the reason that didn't work out so well is because that circular saw was not created to cut sheetrock. We were using something for something it wasn't designed for. And when you and I are trying to aim our lives for a glory it was never meant to live for, we're going to end up all cloudy and all smoky. We're going to end up with a mess every single time. It's always going to disappoint. And so I hope you are saying, all right, I want to aim my life at living for God's glory, not my own. But the question now, of course, is how? And there are honestly, there's lots of ways that we can live for God's glory. We've done like five, six-part series on this. But tonight, I want to just wrap up this series by talking about what I think is the best way to live for God's glory. Now, the funny thing is, is when we think about living for God's glory, I think we often think, okay, I'm not going to enjoy this, right? If I'm living for God's glory and not my own, I know something. I'm just not going to enjoy it, right? Because it seems like all the things I want to do, God's telling me I shouldn't do, so all my enjoyment's over here, and then I have God over here telling me what to do. And so if I'm living for his glory, I'm missing enjoyment now. All joy, all pleasure, all satisfaction is going to be sucked out of my life. And what if that's the exact opposite of the truth? You see, we, we really saw last week that all of these little gods we live for, all those things we live for our own glory, they all let us down so badly. And so we think we're on this hunt for joy, right, when we're doing the thing we want to do. And in reality, it always falls short. Maybe there's a joy for a season, but then it comes back to bite us. What if the best way to live for God's glory is to enjoy him? And I think when we think about living for God, that word doesn't often make it into how we talk about living for God's glory. It's like, enjoy him? Wait, I thought I'd just do that because I'm supposed to. I thought I'd just do that because aren't I kind of guilted into this? I mean, I appreciate Jesus died on the cross for me. So now I kind of feel like I just should do that. But what if it's so much more than that? 
Like, what if having a relationship with God and putting him first is out to, to capture and secure your highest level of enjoyment and not ruin it? That's what I want to kind of just talk with you a little bit about today. If you were to go into any relationship, be it a dating relationship or marriage or anything like that, and have the attitude that we sometimes have toward God, it would destroy everything, right? Like some of us in the room, if we're, if we're kind of thinking, I'm going to spend time with God because I should, and I'll do a couple of the things that he wants me to do because I should, and they're probably right, that would never work in a dating or, or marriage relationship, right? I mean, if I took my wife out and said, honey, um, we're here at the restaurant, and I, and I guess you probably want like some chocolate or flowers or something, so why don't you just tell me uh, the least amount of things I have to do to kind of keep you happy in this relationship, and all the married people are kind of chuckling at this point, right? Because that's not going to go well. But yet, I think sometimes that's sort of how we approach God. It's like, all right, God, tell me the, the, the least I have to do for you to still love me. The least I have to do so I can, I can still kind of say I'm in a relationship with you. And I think God's on the other side of that, just like any woman in this room would be looking back at their boyfriend or fiance or, or spouse going, what do you mean what's the least you can do? I want you to want to get me the flowers. I want you to want, I want there to be a passion and an enjoyment and a love and an emotion, not just a lifeless sort of, I guess I'll do it because I should. And so tonight, I wanna just talk with you guys about what it looks like to enjoy God because that's what we're here for. That's the best way we glorify him. To glorify somebody just kind of means to make up much of them or make a big deal of them. And the greatest way that we can make a big deal of God is by enjoying him. And we're gonna look about and see about how that's true. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad you guys are here tonight. And I would guess this is something maybe you wrestle with too. Like, God, what's the deal with a relationship with you? And, and maybe you look at church people and you're like, why do they even kind of seem like they're enjoying this? Why, why do they seem like they want to be here or they want to spend time with God or they want to tell other people about Jesus? What's with that? And maybe you're kind of wrestling with this view of God, like he's almost this like cosmic killjoy, you know? It's like anything fun he tells you not to do and all the stuff he tells you to do is not fun. But what if God is actually out for your joy, your pleasure, your satisfaction, and your enjoyment, and it's all wrapped up in him? That's what we're gonna see tonight. So we're gonna look at one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 16, and David is somebody who was deeply flawed, made lots of mistakes, Went through a lot. His own son tried to betray him and take over his kingdom. He lost a child uh, real early on. Um, his, his predecessor tried to kill him several times. I mean, this guy had some bad days. But man, I don't know anybody else who seemed to enjoy God like David did. And so we're gonna look at Psalm 16, and we'll start out in verse one. And look what, look what David says here. He says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I love this because right off the bat, David is saying here, not preserve me, oh God, because I guess I should sort of come to you because it's the right thing, and if I don't, you'll get mad. No, he's saying instantly something that he enjoys about God. In you, I take refuge. You know what I can guarantee about probably at least 75% of the room tonight? We need some refuge in our life from something. There's a situation going on in our life that we need a little bit of a break from. When I think of the word refuge, I think of being out in the sun all day, working in the intense heat, and then finding some shade. And I just think some of our souls need some shade tonight. Some of your hearts need some shade tonight. You're beat up, man. You're withered up a little bit. You're dried up. And I love that David recognizes that 
in God, we can take refuge. Can I just compare God to the, to the little gods we made that we talked about last week? Those little gods that we turn to, be it a relationship or what people think of us or a job or, or a scholarship or a dollar amount or your car or whatever it might be, those little gods that capture our hearts. Can you really honestly, truly take soul refuge in any of those things? No, right? But here's David saying, God, I'm not just coming to you because I should, because it's the religious thing to do. I'm coming to you because, man, my soul needs refuge. Then he goes on, verse two. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Those are some big words. I have no good apart from you. So David's saying, all right, God, I have have it all. I mean, David was a king, right? David snapped his fingers. He got whatever he wanted, truly. Food, stuff, status. I mean, whatever he wanted, he had in literally a snap of a finger. And he's looking at all that. He's saying, God, apart from you, I have no good thing. Those are some really big words. When I was in college, I dated this girl my freshman year, and she got me a gift. And I opened it up. It wasn't quite what I was expecting. It was a pen. I was like, okay, I'm in college. I do write. So, uh, you know, I got a pen here. But then I, I looked at this certain part. She had had it engraved. And on the pen, she wrote these words, you are my life. And those are some big words. So I got her a pen, and I had it engraved. You are a psycho. And I, and I gave her. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But those are some big words. I wasn't ready to be her life. I didn't want to be her life. I was not her life, okay? But that's what David is saying. God, you're my life. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Again, this is not someone guilted into a relationship with God. This is a king who had anything he wanted saying, okay, God, I'm clearly seeing you are best. Then verse three, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my Delight. So in this verse, he's just saying, people who love God, man, I have such delight in those kinds of people. Then verse four is a really powerful verse. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. And this is what we talked about a lot last week, right? That our little gods, our little idols, the things that capture our heart, man, when we chase after those things, our sorrows multiply. And it's funny, I think we don't calculate that when we think about it right? When we think about, okay, I'm going to go chase something I know God doesn't want me to chase. I think sometimes we calculate our sorrows might be a little bit, but we don't recognize that, no, they're going to multiply. I've been helping my eight-year-old with some math. I'm not going to be able to help him pass this year, but I I can help him with like the addition, subtraction, division, multiplication stuff. And, And one of the mistakes he makes is instead of multiplying, he'll add. This happened this week. So instead of like eight plus eight, or eight times eight is 64, he'll do eight plus eight is 16. I know you're very impressed with my math skills. There you go. And so, thanks, Brennan. And so I got a little golf clap if you didn't see that. And so this week, I I said to him, I said, oh, bud, okay, you added and you should have multiplied, right? He, He made a mistake when he was doing that calculation. And we do the same thing. We sit there and go, okay, now I know God is saying, don't chase this little God, this little false fake God. I know he's saying that. And if I do, I think I'm going to add in a little room for some sorrow it's going to create in my life. But we look at that little sorrow, that little calculation we made, and we go, but I, I'm, going to, I'm going to say it's worth it. Even if it adds that sorrow to my life, you know, it won't be the end of the world. And what I think we need to realize is we're kind of like landing in that moment. We're, we're, we're adding a little sorrow in our head. We, we think that's all that will come out of it. When in actuality, we need to, when we make that calculation, what's going to happen in the long run is we need to multiply that 
We need to multiply that sorrow and realize if I go that way, as I'm thinking about, am I gonna glorify God or do what I want? I need to multiply this sorrow. This is gonna multiply my pain. And so God lovingly is saying, hey, live for my glory. One, I'm the best thing there is, he says. Nothing else is gonna satisfy you like me. But, but two, if you chase that little God, man, it's gonna multiply your sorrow. And again, these little gods, these little things, it's just anything that's good and sometimes bad, but, but often it's those good things that we just put before God. And so reordering, reordering the gifts and the stuff and the money and the success and the status and what people think of you and sex and all that stuff and saying, no, 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 God, you're first, you're first, you're above all that. Getting in the right order, right? Then he goes on a little bit more. He says, their drink offerings, he's talking about the people who chase after other gods. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. But then verse five, he says this, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. So David uses this illustration of food, right? So it's what, like 7.45 or something? Some of us are hungry. Maybe you need dinner yet. I need dinner yet. I can think about some good food, man. My chosen portion and cup, if I had to go anywhere tonight after service, is a few years ago, Kelly and I went to the city with a couple, and we went to this Italian restaurant called Carmine's, and it's unbelievable. They have an Italian Philly cheesesteak, then they bring out the pasta, and they bring out the chicken parm. Notice I, I just said chicken parm, because if I finish that word, the, the way I normally say it, all the Italians will jump me out in the parking lot, the parmigiana, right? And so, so... It's Parmesan, people. It's just that there's no A at the end. Okay, anyway. And so they had Dr. Pepper, my choice, my choice cup. I mean, I was just like in heaven, okay? What, what would be your choice, your choice cup? What, what would be your choice portion? David here, remember, David's a king. And so anytime he's like, this is what I want to eat, this is what he would eat. In fact, one time, him and his buddies, right, are out in the middle of nowhere. And he goes, man, I really wish I could have a drink from this certain well and his buddies fought through an army and got him the water from the well and brought it back to him. And so David, with this little food illustration, literally could have anything he wanted. But he's using this illustration to say, more than any food or drink I want, my portion and my cup is the Lord. And I love that the word chosen is what we have here. Right, Because this is clearly saying David is making an active decision to live for the glory of God by enjoying him. God, God I could have all this, David's saying. I could have all that, but, but my chosen portion and cup is you, God. I see someone who's passionate. Now listen, if you're here tonight going, but Doug, I don't feel this way about God. I don't feel all excited about God. I don't feel passionate like David did. Well, we're gonna continue to talk about where to start and what it looks like to work up some of this passion in our heart for God. Then he says this, you hold my lot. You hold my lot. What does that mean? It probably means all David's stuff, all that he had, all that he possessed. So this is his kingdom, this is his family, this is his money, this is his relationships. He says, you hold my lot. You hold it all, God. And you know, that's how I feel right now. For those of you who don't know, my, my wife's Kelly been going through just really, really rough sickness for the last uh, six weeks or so. And um, it, just to update you, it's like bad day, good day, bad half a day, good half a day. Uh, Friday was like halfway decent until the afternoon. And then yesterday was like a nightmare. Today's been pretty bad again. And it's just so up and down. And, and I had a pastor friend who texted me this week. He just said, I don't know how you're managing all this. And I just felt in my heart, like as I was working on this message, like I'm not managing it. I'm not. I can't manage this. Like God has to manage this. He has to hold my lot in all this. 
And I was working on this message when I got that text from my friend, and I, she, Kelly saw me write that down on my notes, and she said, tell them that God's holding my lot too. That's the only way she's getting through this as well. And you know what? None of our little gods can hold our lot. None of them. Think about all the things you or I could turn to. I mean, the drug can numb you out, the alcohol can numb you out, but it's not going to hold your lot. Right, the TV can entertain, that's okay, enjoy the TV. Uh, the sport, the music, the relationship, that's great, good stuff. But man, don't let it be God because it, it can't do what God can do, it can't hold your lot. Verse six, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, in this verse, I think we find a key on how to start enjoying God, okay? And it's easy to miss. I was thinking about this verse. I'm like, David is saying here that his lines have fallen in pleasant places. In other words, he's saying, man, there's been some blessings in my life. And he talks about he having a beautiful inheritance, which I think he's talking about is salvation, okay? And I was thinking about this verse, and he's saying, man, I've, I've had some real blessings in my life. And I'm thinking to myself, but wait a minute. Your son tried to betray you and steal your kingdom. You lost a child. Your, your predecessor tried to kill you. You've, you've fought in countless wars. How, how, what, how does that make sense? And you know what I realize David's doing? David is doing what every one of us need to begin to do if we want to enjoy God. He's recognizing the good and the blessings in his life. Guys, we all go through hard stuff. We all have difficult days and seasons. But David took the time to say, I can see the pleasant places. I can see the good. If you want to begin to enjoy God, begin here. Start to think about all the beautiful things he's given you. And you know what? Maybe you might even say, Doug, I don't have a whole list of that. I I would guess you probably do. I would guess, I mean, here we are living in America, right? I mean, blessed in a lot of ways. I would guess each of us has a good size list, but let's just just pretend we didn't for a while. We each have at least one thing on that list, and that's Jesus' death in our place, right? So if you can't find one other blessing in your life, then at the very least, you have a savior who got on a cross and died in your place. And so you can start there. If Jesus never answered another prayer for you and I, we've still had someone die for us who should never have died for us. And so, man, if you wanna begin enjoying God, I, I would challenge you, sit, take your phone out, take a piece of paper out or a pen and just begin to write. My family, my house, my car, I ate three meals today. I mean, just begin to list every little blessing. The Bible tells us every blessing comes from above. You're gonna begin to see, wow, this is a God I enjoy. This is a God who loves me and who I love. Then he says this, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night my, my I, I'm, wow, I can't talk. In the night, also my heart instructs me. Good thing I don't speak for a living. Um, and so David here is saying, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. And again, I would just say, wow, none of my little gods do that. Like when I'm making a decision about something, and lots of you guys are, lots of you are deciding different things right now. Do do I go to this school? Do I go to that girl? Uh, Carl, I was going to say, do I get in a relationship with that girl? Wow, there you go. Still can't speak for a living. And so where do I go here? Some of us are thinking, you know, a little later in life, okay, what do I do next? Do I stick with this job? Is this going to be my job for the rest of my life? Or do I move? When, when do I relocate? Do I start saving? Like all these different kinds of things. And, and here's God saying, I want to counsel you. I want to counsel you through all of this. And that's what we find in God. And so again, I see David enjoying God for all these reasons, not just 
in a relationship with God, glorifying him, going, all right, God, I'll, I'll glorify you because I should, but I'm in. I'm not enjoying any of this. I know I see David going, God, you are the best thing that's ever happened to me. I'm counting my blessings. You hold my lot. You're my refuge. There's no one like you. You satisfy. And then he goes on in verse eight. He says, I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Guys, there's stuff trying to shake all of us. There's stuff constantly trying to knock us down. There's stuff constantly trying to mess with our heart and mess with our minds. And and when we have God at our right hand, we will not be shaken. We will go through stuff, but we will not be shaken. And that's the grace of God. That's what he does for us. What's trying to shake you right now? Because God wants to keep you sturdy in him. Verse nine, therefore my heart is glad. My heart is glad. That's what God wants for you. Maybe that's what you just need to hear tonight. God wants your heart to be glad. That doesn't mean that you're never gonna have a difficult day. It just means your heart can be glad in the midst of that difficult day because you have God, right? I mean, you and I, we can have all the money, all the stuff, all the fame, all the wealth in the world and be completely miserable. In fact, if you look at Hollywood, that's what most of them are with all that stuff. But suddenly you begin to add God to the equation and I could be poor and have not much at all and be going through a really difficult time, but my heart can be glad. And that's what God's desire is for you. And for me, this is the God David's excited about. My whole being rejoices. When's the last time your whole being rejoiced? Like your whole being, right? I mean, I, I don't know that I've ever bought anything and my whole being rejoiced. I've never seen my wife that come home from the storm. Like, I got a new purse. My whole being is rejoicing, you know? I don't know. I've never seen that happen. But I, I know that in the midst of pain, in the midst of hardship, that my whole being can rejoice in God. I know tonight, sitting here worshiping during that first set, that my heart was brought to a place of, of just rejoicing. And, and if I'm honest with you guys, I'm not, you know, really, um, I guess, proud of this, but I had a moment with God today. Man, I had a moment looking at my wife's pain, and I had a moment with God that wasn't so pretty. But getting back here tonight to that place of worship, it brings that, that place of celebration and rejoicing and and, and being able to celebrate God in the midst of that pain again. My flesh also dwells secure. David finds great security in God. Man, do we need some of that. Security in him, not in what people say about us, not in how we're performing, but in God, not in what the stock market looks like or what the job market on Long Island looks like or what your college bill says, but a security found in him. Then he says in verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Sheol is a Hebrew word. It just means place of destruction or or ruin or or place for the lost or the dead. And what David is saying here is, I know no matter what, God, I'm gonna be with you in eternity. No matter what, when I die, I'm gonna be saved with you because of what Jesus did on the cross. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is it. This is everything for us. Jesus died for us so that we wouldn't be abandoned. Then he goes on in verse 11, and this is probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He says, you make known to me the path of life. And I don't think when David's talking about the path of life, he's talking about like this life, like what do I do now? I think he's talking about the path of life, like eternal life, salvation, that Jesus is that path of life for him. And then he says this, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your presence, that, that's where it is. See, this is so funny, is because I think we think, we have to avoid God's presence if we want to find joy, right? Because that's where all the fun stuff is. 
And as we've talked about, that's where all the fun stuff is for a season and then makes everything miserable. And that's just momentary joy. That's fleeting joy. But here David is saying, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. It's not fleeting. It's not up and down. And so I love that David is identifying that place for us. When I was in youth group, I had a youth group leader who worked with my dad. His name was Steve Lee. And he's probably one of the funniest guys I'd ever met in my life. And uh, Steve is just crazy, did all kinds of funny stuff just to constantly keep us laughing. One day, him and my dad and some friends were out golfing. And uh, Steve Lee hit the first golf ball and went to try to find it wherever in the woods, wherever it went, you know. My dad got up, and he hits his golf ball. And he just, he just rockets this ball. It hits a tree and bounces off the tree and goes about 50 feet and hits Steve Lee right in the head. Steve falls to the ground, right? The next time they go golfing, my dad's getting ready to tee off. Steve goes, Pete, wait, wait, wait. He goes over to his bag, and he takes out a little toy Tonka construction hat and puts it on. He goes, all right, Pete, go ahead. I mean, just always funny, just always cracking us up. And, and during this uh, craziness, I said, Steve, we got to hang out once Kelly's better. I just need to laugh because I know that laughter is found in Steve Lee's presence. Like if I'm looking for it, I know it's there. And if you are looking for joy, it is found in God's presence. That's, that's, the, that's the source you and I need. And then he says this, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God wants to please you and me. He wants us to enjoy him. He wants us not to be forced and coerced and manipulated into prayer and into worship, and into living for God. He wants us to do it out of this passion and this love and this excitement because he is the satisfier and he is the pleaser. And I love that David's looking ahead to heaven here. He's going, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So God's goal for you and me in heaven, if you were wondering, if you were thinking you're gonna be sitting on a cloud playing a harp, bored to death for all eternity, no, you're gonna be pleased and satisfied by God forevermore. That's the God that you and I serve. That's the God that David enjoys. And I just hope that we can turn this whole thing on its head, that God's out to ruin our fun, that being close to him is going to be a killjoy, and I hope we can see it for what it is, that joy is in his presence and pleasures are by his side. As I read through these verses, I don't see someone who's doing chores. I see someone who is responding to greatness and beauty and love and mercy. And so what I hope you guys are seeing in all this is that the best way to live for God's glory is to enjoy him. That's the best way. There are other ways to live for God's glory. But I think the best way is to enjoy him. I just wanna share a little bit of like how we do this now. Like what does it look like practically? Um, I tried so hard this week to come up with a better illustration for this because uh, my man Joey's heard this illustration. Jess, man, you guys heard this illustration about 27 times, right? But there's no better illustration because C.S. Lewis came up with it, okay? So how are you gonna find a better one than C.S. Lewis? And so C.S. Lewis is in his tool shed and there's this beam from the sun kind of coming in and he was in there messing around and I just wonder what C.S. Lewis messing around with in a tool shed. That's kind of a cool thought, you know? He's probably looking for like a quill or a pen or something. I don't know. But he's in there doing his thing. He's trying to find Aslan in there and he's doing his thing. And uh, as he's in there, all of a sudden the dust kicks up and the, the beam from the sun is like illuminated by the dust. And he's just sitting there admiring this really cool beam coming into his tool shed. And he said that this thought hit him. It's one thing to sit there and look at this beam 
But it's another thing to actually step into the beam and trace it back up to its source. And I think one of the ways we begin to enjoy God is we begin to look at all the beautiful things he's given us. First is Jesus, but then it's, it is our, our friends, it's our families, it's our relationships, it's, it's our, our, our good days, it's all that. And we begin to trace those back up to their source. So instead of just going through my day like, oh wow, this was a cool day, man, some funny things happened, some good things happened, we threw a cake off the roof, it was really fun, like all that. Now suddenly, I'm going, God, thank you for this day. God, every ounce of that is because Jesus died on the cross. Without Jesus' death on the cross, I would have had none of those smiles, none of those laughs, none of those good things, none of those enjoyments. And so we begin to trace that sunbeam back up to its source. I'll just give you some examples of ways that I think we can do this. Um, I think some of it is just just enjoying nature. I was was pumping gas early this morning. I hate the cold and I hate the morning, and I'm out there in both this morning. And uh, as I'm pumping the gas... I, I'm having a little attitude with God and I look over and there's just this beautiful sky, this beautiful, clear sky. And I just went, all right, Lord, you're pretty awesome. You're pretty great. Just responding to his goodness, responding to his beauty, um, getting into God's word. And again, if, if you don't like to read the Bible and you don't like to pray, I promise you, if you begin to say things like this, God, I don't like to read the Bible and I don't like to pray and I want you to change that, he's gonna change that. I guarantee, I, I, don't, I don't often say that a certain prayer request will guarantee, uh, is guaranteed to get answered, but those two, about prayer and about reading God's word, those two are guaranteed to be answered. And so as you approach God, he's gonna, he's gonna give you a heart to love his word. He's gonna give you a heart to be able to spend time in prayer. And some of it, I think, with the whole prayer thing and being in his word, I think some of it is, some of us just have a misunderstanding of this, or we're trying to do something somebody else did and it worked for them, but it doesn't work for you. And you're different than that person. And so for some of you, you need to be in your room on your knees praying before God. And that's a beautiful thing. But some of you have tried that and you've fallen asleep every single time. So go on a walk. Maybe you need to pray the best time for you, some of you. Man, you got like a half hour or even two hour commute. I don't know. What a beautiful carved out time you have to be praying. We've talked about this in the past, putting on the, putting the Bible on, uh, just, just having it play through your car stereo or whatever it is. Just what works for you? What's gonna bring your heart alive? What's gonna spark this passionate relationship between you and Jesus? Some of you guys love to journal. I journal literally about once every two years and it takes me about an hour and a half because I'm like, well, in the last two and a half years, here's what happened, right? But some of you guys, man, you're there every day. You're writing out prayers. Some of you guys have written out prayers for Kelly. That's you. So use that. Go with that strong point. Some of us, man, it's just going to be people, like enjoying friendship. Some of you guys, after tonight, you're going to go out and have some fun with some friends. You're going to go out and grab some food, or maybe you're going to be able to pray with somebody here, and you're going to leave. And Hey, trace, trace that sunbeam back up. God, thank you for that person. God, thank you for the ability to go and enjoy that, right? Music. Music brings some of our hearts to life, right? Just thanking God for that. You go see a great show. God, thank you for creating ridiculously talented musicians that we get to enjoy. Or what about like movies and TV shows? Now be careful with this, right? You get yourself in trouble if you're choosing the wrong movies and TV shows. But, and, and again, not like seven hours a day, but if, if, man, once in a while we're sitting and we're enjoying that, maybe it's just, God, thank you. I get to just sit back and relax. I work really hard. I'm tired. Thank you for a little time to just laugh or watch a cool movie. Or, uh, I mean, over the last six weeks, I've been working from home a lot. And my wife's had a lot of chick flicky type stuff on. And I'd be lying if I didn't say I didn't tear up a few times over the last few. But you know what? During that time, I've also seen some things. I'm not going to tell you what movies or shows because I'll be embarrassed. But 
there's been some things where after watching that, I've had some conversations with God. Like, God, that show helped me realize, man, that I'm not being a great dad in this area or that area. Just help me with that. And so, I mean, anything, whatever it is, a sports, like just honoring God, using the given, God-given talents he's given you. And, and at the, in, the, in the midst of it, just enjoying God with it and saying, God, you're awesome. Thank you for this. This is so great. God does not want you to be tortured. I think sometimes we think that the more boring and tedious it is, the more holy it must be. And that's not true. God wants us to be able to trace all those sunbeams back up, food and laughter and, and, and the beautiful gift of sex when it's used in the right way. Man, trace the sunbeams back up to God. They're all awesome things. So some really smart people with some really cool accents about 400 years ago, some Englishmen, some Scottish people got together and they were these theologians. They wrote something called the Catechism and they asked this question, what is the chief end of man? Now, I wouldn't say it like that today, right? But what they're saying is, what are we all here for? Why are we all here? What's the point? And the answer they came up with this, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's why we're here. And, and some really smart guy changed a couple words in there and changed it to man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. This guy, John Piper, came up with that. And then he kind of made this famous statement. And here's, here's what it is, and we'll close with this. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's the God we have, right? God's most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. So it's not that God's most glorified in us when we're most miserable, God's most glorified in us when we're most seemingly bored in a religious activity. No, God's most glorified in us when we're enjoying him the most, when we're satisfied with him the most. I guarantee if I ever get to a Super Bowl in my lifetime, what, what I will not find in that stadium are a bunch of people going, how much longer is this thing? Go ahead, play your fancy game. You kick the ball through the thingy-majiggers, we'll get up and clap, you know? And No, you're gonna find a bunch of people in that stadium so passionate, so excited, responding to greatness. And that's the invitation you and I have, to respond to the greatness of God. And so if you're a follower of Jesus tonight, what would it look like for you to enjoy him this week? Not because you have to, but because, man, to miss out on who he is and what he offers would just be such a waste. And so will you glorify God by enjoying him? And you're unique. So that's gonna look different for you than it might for me. But it all counts. And it's all to satisfy our hearts and our, and our pleasures anyway, because that's the great God that we serve. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to think about that. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you heard me talk about Jesus' death on the cross and him purchasing our salvation and him not abandoning us when we die and heaven and the fact that he wants to please us and satisfy us for all eternity. And so if you want to put your trust in Jesus tonight, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a minute. But this week, let's remember, the best way to live for God's glory is to enjoy him. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we come to you thankful that you are a God who wants us to find satisfaction and wants us to find great joy. God, we thank you so much that though you created all this and you made all this and it could have gone any way, you decided that the thing that would glorify you most is when we're most alive in you when we're most fulfilled and satisfied and pleased and at our highest level of enjoyment in you. So if you're a Christian, would you pray about that? Would you, would you pray about what it might look like for you to enjoy God this week? And if you're honest, 
Maybe you just need to pray, God, I, I don't enjoy you and I don't know what to do about it and I hate that. But God, would you teach me how to enjoy you? Would you show me? Would you give me glimpses of your greatness that will make me want to pursue you, not out of duty, but out of joy? If you're not a follower of Jesus, love for you to pray maybe something like this tonight, just quietly. Jesus, please forgive me for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your place in mine. God, would you help me now to live my life enjoying you? Thank you in your name.